Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Layman's Change podcast hosted by Lance Berryman and Nicholas Campos. Today, for episode one, we're going to be talking to Andres Trujillo. He's, uh, he participates in debate, fencing. He's very well-versed in the ways of politics and school, and he's a good student. So it should be interesting. This podcast is about uh, self-improvement. We talk to unique people and look at what makes them tick, and we explain it to you guys in, in terms that everyone can understand. So I'm maybe your co-host, Nicholas Campos, and we just figured that everyone can benefit from self-improvement, and that's why we want to bring this podcast to y'all. So without further ado, we will introduce y'all to Andres. So we're going to open up with the first question of Andres. Starting, going from your middle school career to your high school career, what changed academically that caused you to work more? Great question. Absolutely excited to be on the podcast. Great opportunity. Oh, I mean, during my middle school years, I was I was in a little bit of a rut. Uh, I didn't really care for school. Didn't get great grades. Had like a 3-4, 3-5. But it wasn't until my brother, after he went through freshman year, and did somewhat poorly, who was in the same situation as I was in middle school. He didn't really care that much for it. But in high school he just took an absolute beating and after after that he just started to pick it up and he advised me to do the same and since then I've just been trying hard to make up ground that I lost in middle school which has been difficult but I'm getting there so, so with the increase in in work do you have you seen a lack or a decrease in other things you do like in other extracurricular activities Certainly at the beginning, I think it was a little difficult to jump from doing no homework and doing nothing to like a, an increase, a huge increase. But it's it sort of settled down where I'm able to manage it. The, the more you do it, the, the easier it gets. So would you say you had one defining moment when you thought, you know what, this is this this not trying scenario has gone on too long and I need to really turn things around? Or was it more of a gradual acceptance of the fact that once you get to high school, things are going to change. I think it was definitely also, it was definitely a buildup. Like I knew, I knew that I was just sucking at school and I knew that I needed to turn around, but I, I didn't really have the motivation to do that. But I say the most defining moment was my failure to get into like, what's that name? National Junior Honor Society. At that point, I really, I, I felt like I was at an all-time low. Uh, that was I, rock I, bottom. I, yeah, I thought I I honestly thought I had better grades than that. Like I thought I actually made it, but then like they sent the GPA and I just didn't have it. So like that's when it really hit me like, yo, this this isn't good. But I mean it just depends on the person, like it just depends if you have like high standards and how you wanna like keep your grades. So what's the number one piece of advice you'd give to someone who is in that same like kinda stuck place to get out just think about your future like without like if you if you do something and you know in the future you're gonna need it you better start working at it because like if you don't have like if you like swimming you like doing sports then like work at that like i guess the only route i really have is just through school and if if you know that your future is going to involve school you really should start working just thinking into the future and know that that's going to be a huge part of your life.
Yeah, I think we I think we live in a world where education is really really important, and so the the big break for most people when they think oh no I've really got to start trying and giving my all is when when they're mature enough to recognize the long term effects of getting bad grades, and so yeah. uh, for me at least I definitely see what you're talking about when you when you when you look back and think oh god I mean I've got my whole life ahead of me and what I'm doing now can influence in a chain reaction kind of way. Yeah, for sure. All right, Andres, uh, moving on to the topic of, of religion. You are a self-professed atheist. You are a, a really smart guy, and I just want to know how you, you tie atheism into your everyday life and if you think it helps you or what, what the deal is there. I just really don't let any, any sort of religion play any sort of a role in my life. Like, I know a lot of people use religion to cope with stuff and like help them heal but I don't know I I just never I I know it's just it's just never been part of my life I didn't really accept it as something I really needed and therefore I just don't use it very much like there's nothing behind it I just kind of live out life day by day so whenever you you think about like a, a value system do you just kind of come up with your own ideas of like what you think is is fair and right or do you do you based on anything yeah i i sort of just come come up with like values on my own i don't think i don't think values are stem from any greater power like if you think about it like values hundreds of years ago are different than from values now like values are always changing and it shouldn't be consistent from like when when like a god put it down like millions of years ago so I think it's like ever changing and looking at values through a religious standpoint. Even if you do do that, I think it's important to like reconsider values every once in a while and try to adjust them depending on how society views them. So one thing when I I've talked to some people who are atheists or agnostic, agnostic yeah. meaning they they don't believe in an organized religion, but they're kind of just surfing the surfing the web for what kind of religion they they want to fall into. And those people say that one of the hardest things about denying uh, the control of a higher power is that the responsibility falls on themselves. And a lot of times people use higher powers or religion to kind of accept that everything's not in their hands. And I'm wondering if you face kind of stress and without something to say, well, it's in God's hands now or whatever, do you, do you feel extra pressure on yourself? Honestly, since it hasn't been there since the very beginning, I don't feel any sort of external pressure because like I see if someone's really religious and is really dependent on those kind of higher powers and then all of a sudden shifts away from that, obviously it's going to be a huge change and very difficult to adapt uh, to another way of being. But since since I've never really had this since like the beginning of my life and I've never been very religious, then I, I, I sort of have always, I, I never really put the blame on how do I explain this? Like, I don't always, um, I don't put the blame on like a higher power just because I've never been, never done that in my entire life. So I'm going to follow up with a little analogy because I drive a six shift car and people always tell me, oh my God, that's so hard or, or whatever. But since yeah. I, that was my first car, I never um, considered it hard or difficult. I just, it's the, it's the same. So I feel like yeah. for you, not to put words in your mouth, but you learn that way and that's how you are and so it's the same yeah exactly like i can see it's very difficult for people to shift from like obviously their family has a huge impact on their belief system but like 
my like my parents are not super religious i never went to church very much but like so that has like a huge influence on me i like no one in my family really goes to church so obviously for some people who have super religious family it's very difficult to shift away from that especially like being perceived as someone who's like unfaithful like that's very difficult but just for me it's just been simple so to shift on to a a lighter topic we know that like you in ninth grade you you started fencing can you kind of talk talk to us a little bit about just starting something completely new in ninth grade yeah um yeah fencing fencing's been like really strange shift like i i did club soccer throughout my entire life and i just kind of got burned out from that so i started doing fencing and I think if it's if if you start something new and you're really passionate about it and enjoy doing it, it it's obviously going to come easier than something that you're not passionate about doing. It's obviously going to be very difficult, but just because just because I like enjoy it, I think it's been very easy to shift to like a different sport. So I have a question. As a fellow, Nicholas and I are actually both uh, fellow athletes, and and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well. And I'm wondering. What what is your routine before a big fencing tournament? Do you do anything special? You get into a, a zone, or or what's the deal there? Big tournament, uh, it's just kind of been the same as always. Just get a good night rest, and then just listen to music until until it starts. Nothing nothing special though. Can I ask what music really gets you in that in that fencing mood? Yeah, sometimes I listen to rap music. If I'm not feeling some rap, I'll listen to some indie music, but it's usually rap, like hype music. So when you get into that, uh, uh, what do you call it, like an arena, an octagon, what is it called? I mean, usually it's like convention center if it's like a huge tournament. But So as soon as you step into that convention center, are you thinking like, I'm going to stab this guy, like I'm going warrior mindset on him? Or is it more of a uh, technique mindset? I think it's a little mixture of both. You have to be a little bit, a little bit greedy, but then also you can't be super arrogant, or you're just gonna lose to like people that are worse than you. So, so it's definitely a little bit of both. So you gotta balance balance your own ego with with knowing that it's anyone's game. Yeah, exactly. I think so it's for every sport. So I know fencing is a one a one v one like a match, but is there is there a team aspect to fencing? Yeah, there's, like, at certain tournaments, there's, like, team activities or, like, team uh, tournaments where, like, there's, like, four other people, and then you each fence. So, like, the first bout, or which is, like, the first first match, you could say, which is about, the first bout goes to five, so the two teams, which are made up of, like, five people, they fence, and the first person to go to five, then it switches, you switch to, like, your other teammate, and then that next bout goes to 10. So, for example, if it's like 5-3, you could come back for your team and make it like 10-5. And then it keeps incrementing by 5. So, like, theoretically, it could be like 3 to like 20, and then you could have like a really long bout. But, yeah, there's like team vents at some. Is there an aspect of stamina? Do you have to – I know it's hot under that suit. Is that a problem for you or – You get used to it. Like, if you're doing it for a while, you get used to it, but, like, Concerning stamina, at like larger tournaments, you're gonna have like a pool. So like every tournament starts with a pool, which means you get placed in a group of like five or six people, and then you fence everyone there, and then from there you get like a, 
you get um like a rake like a ranking basically like your score like if you win four two or like if you win five two um like in your pool and then from there it's basically just like a huge bracket and then you just fence until it's over so like some tournaments have like you'll be fencing like a ton so it just depends how far you get i see do you see yourself continuing fencing on possibly the collegiate level or is it something that you enjoy doing in high school I think hopefully I, I don't think it, it's gonna be I don't think I'm good enough or uh, motivated enough to get like a D1 scholarship there's just like for a couple of reasons the first of which is just like obviously Sam Marie's Law is like a lot of workload so it's very difficult to like put in as much time as you'd like to but also like the kids that have been doing fencing and are really good at fencing have been doing fencing for like their entire life like they've never they've literally never played like a contact sport before they've never like They've only done fencing, so they're, they're just, like, the most insane kids in the world at, at the sport. So, whereas, like, in soccer, there's going to be, like, a huge variety. There's going to be, like, really bad people or, like, really good people. But, like, in fencing, if you're going to, like, big tournaments, it's going to be, like, only really good people. And those are, like, the only people that, like, really get scouted. But I definitely do hope to pursue, like, uh, uh, fencing, like, in the future, like, at, at some national tournaments, there's like 80 year olds. There's like 10 year olds through 80 year olds like fencing. So, oh my god, nothing's more terrifying than going against an 80 year old Olympic fencer. I can't even imagine. But on just on a different topic, uh, you talk about when when these people are really good at fencing, they've been doing it for a long time. And I, I would ask you if you had the option to go back before you started soccer, which I know you were passionate about, and just not do any of that fun stuff and just do straight fencing since first grade or something would you take that opportunity or would you do you like the variance in athletics you've participated in i actually pondered this exact question i i think i would probably just stick with the same path that i went through because knowing like my soccer career i think i would have just just gotten burnt out of fencing as well i don't think i could do a sport for that long um like that hard so it probably just would have been best to do like a sport when I was younger with like a ton of people and I can actually like make friends with them. Whereas like fencing, it's a little more difficult since it's like a solo sport. So you don't have like a team bond as much. So I think it was just easier to do like team sports when you're younger and then like kind of evolve as you get older. So on the topic of school, I know you mentioned sleep uh, before before fencing tournaments, and I know you you probably value sleep as most scholars do. So I'm wondering, do you how many hours of sleep do you get, and and do you value sleep as an extremely important aspect of your life? Ah, uh, I usually get like I'd say like eight eight to nine hours of sleep depending on the day. Um, but yeah, I think sleep's really important. Often, like, if you're really tired, you're not going to perform in school well. And I've seen that happen to me multiple times. So I do think sleep is very important. So I know you mentioned that sometimes it's hard to, to balance. Like, I mean, we, we know we all go to the same school, so we have similar workloads, a lot of workloads. So how do you balance when you have a lot of work versus when that comes into con? con competition with your sleep yeah so like usually i just try to do like i have like a really whack schedule for like 
when I like take like when I sleep and like do homework. So like if I'm tired, I'm just like gonna go to sleep and then I'll just figure that figure it out later. That's kind of like what I do. So, but like if I have a lot of homework and I just really don't feel like homework or doing homework, I just go to sleep and then I wake up at like six. It doesn't matter how much homework I have. I'll literally wake up at six and then just grind it all out. Cause after that, I I'll this sounds really whack, but I just go to sleep after that and like wake up at the regular time that I do for school. So I have like, I don't know why this works for me, but I just have like an incentive to finish it quickly so that I can go back to sleep. So you seem I, I just don't get tired. So you seem that prioritizing sleep over your work has actually not led to any problems in your work getting done. Not really, no. Like as a whole, no. But like obviously, there's some scenarios where I just really want to prefer sleep over work, and then I just, you know, sleep over work. But as a whole, I think it's beneficial. Andres, a lot of times when I'm feeling unmotivated, one of the things I do is is look up the routines and and habits of successful people. Um, both historical figures and current current successes. And one of the uh, Ben Franklin's morning routine involves him waking up pretty early around four and, and writing some stuff. And then he goes back to bed and says that that, that hour after he's woken up and, and then written some and then he goes back to bed, that's like the best best sleep he gets all, all night. Would you say that the sleep is better or is it just kind of like a catch up? It's insane. After after you finish your homework, you just want to get right to sleep, and you'll fall asleep in like two seconds. It's absolutely amazing. It's life changing. So, Highly recommend that. So <laughs> let me let me just get this straight. So you go to bed at like what time? Like ten? You said or eleven? Yeah, on ten. And then and then you sleep until five. Wake up, do your homework, and then go back to bed and get up before before school. Yeah, exactly. I could literally, like, it does not matter how much homework I have, I will wake up at the same time. So I could have, like, two pages of a book to read, and I'll still wake up at 6 o'clock just so I can, like, wake up and then, like, do my stuff and then go back to sleep because it's just so satisfying going back to sleep. That is fascinating. I got to tell you, when I, sometimes when I when I wake up um, every day, usually around 6.30 for school, yeah. I go... I, I leave my alarm on on accident and then on weekends it wakes me up at 6.30 and I get up and like this kind of sounds weird but I like walk around like I'm about to go to school but in my mind oh, I know, yeah. I'm just going back to bed and it's just so satisfying. Exactly. Yeah, because you wake up on, on like a Monday and you're like, man, I would do anything just to go back to sleep and that that's exactly what you're doing on that Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, yeah, you feel it. You feel it too. I, I see. I got to give that. I got definitely got to give that a shot. It's huge. I don't know how good it is for your health, but it is. It just works for some people, I guess. So, Andres, we know that you play a lot of video games. So, <laughs> how how do you how do you try to balance your playing video games with also fencing and your schoolwork and maintaining a healthy sleep schedule? Oh, I just kind of try to do it in my free time. I try to limit it as much as I can and try to finish everything I can before I play video games. I think that's really the only way to healthily do it. So you never find yourself playing video games when you should be doing homework? Obviously that's happened. I think that's a valuable lesson to learn. Like when you when you stayed up playing video games more than you should have and then you, you miss an assignment, that definitely, definitely bites you on the butt, but... You learn for next time and you adapt. 
I see. Well, that's good to know. So, so back on the free time topic, I'm glad you mentioned that. When you get free time, aside from playing video games and fencing and all the other busy things you do, what, what, do, you, what do you do? Do you go outside? What, what's your thing? I just love getting on my phone, watching some TikToks. That's, that's my personal favorite. I see. I see. You don't you do any research or, or anything? I know you're pretty well versed in the news, and I'm wondering when you, when you have time to do that. Yeah, sometimes I'll watch some YouTube and some, read some articles. I, that also consists of some of my free time. But a lot of it's just relaxing and like sleeping, napping. I do a lot of napping. How often would you say you take naps? If I'm really tired, I'll take I'll take a nap. I usually take naps like at least once a day. Depends how long those are. I don't really set an alarm. I just kind of sleep through them. Sometimes I'll I'll take a nap at five and I'll wake up at like two o'clock in the morning. I mean, I don't holy know if, mackerel! Really? Yeah, I don't know if that's healthy, but I don't either, man. That sounds a little sketchy to me. Do you not go? Yeah. So when you do that, you wake up at two in the morning. Do you go back? You get up and like eat dinner <laughs> what are I you get doing? up I eat some dinner try to do a little bit of homework then just fall right back to sleep I end up getting like 15 hours of sleep oh my god that that is something that really scientists need to look into the sleep schedule yeah. of Andres Trujillo I once saw a video of you Andres actually it went oh, really? uh, rather viral in our in our little circle of you putting cracking a, a raw egg into a glass and just drinking it down like Rocky in the movie. And oh, really? I'm just thinking, is that is that a normal thing? Is that something you do on a daily basis? That was sort of just a one one time thing. I, I saw it in the movies, thought I'd give it a shot and haven't really done it since. How was it? Was it was it not, not worth it to repeat? Uh I feel indifferent to it. I don't mind it, but it's just, it's not something I, I go out and think hey I, I want to drink I want to drink an egg it's all right fair enough all right to shift to a more serious topic um Andres you like I said keep up with current events and have uh quite a lot to say about uh politics and the systems of the world and our nation I don't want to get too political because um I think everyone should have the ability to listen to this podcast enjoyably and not go down a, a rabbit hole that they don't want to listen to. But I know you've got some qualms with, with capitalism as a system. I personally uh, don't really agree with that, or but I'm not as well-versed as you, so I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, so I'd probably uh, call myself a democratic socialist, where I think... I think capitalism is like a decent, decent system, but I think there should be like way more regulation. I, I definitely do not agree with Adam Smith and the invisible hand where he thinks the freer the market, the freer the people. Because when you do that, you just, you just lead to more monopolies. You increase, like decreasing regulation is definitely not good. You give like corporations way too much power, which is literally just terrible. So like, I think good, good examples of democratic socialist countries are like Norway, Denmark, Finland, all those Nordic countries, which I think they all have capitalist aspects. Like they all have like a free market, but they are just super regulated with like a ton of unions and super high taxes. 
which I think is definitely good. So in this election, we've been hearing some of these terms thrown around both as, as insults and as compliments. So how do you see selection kind of from your from your perspective? Like I know I know a lot of conservatives like to hurl out socialism as a as a derogatory term and think socialized medicine is like terrible. When in reality every other country besides the United States and all other conservatives that are not in the United States think that socialized medicine like Medicare for all is actually good. And like if you look at any example of like socialized countries, they're like actually pretty good. But I think a lot of people are swept into the rhetoric that socialism is bad and like they just point to like all these terrible countries like Venezuela, which like have nothing to do with socialism. And I think like when uh, Biden, who's like pretty much a centrist and not really like very progressive, tries to do stuff like increase uh, minimum wage and like have like progressive taxes, like I think the other side just takes that as um, – like super radical which i think i think appeals to a lot of americans but overall I don't, I don't think it's very good so i have a question um as when i was watching the debate i i heard a bunch of things that i don't understand because i'm 16 years old and i don't know how many 16 year olds really get it all but when when he's talking about raising the minimum wage i think that that obviously in theory sounds good because i mean who it's not like people want people to be poor at least saying people don't want that. But with these restaurants and businesses that are struggling already with COVID-19 and and then they're listening to Biden say that they need to have like uh, plexiglass dividers or, or make the minimum wage significantly higher than it is, over double, I think. How, yeah. what do you think, how do you think that factors in? Like, do you think that's okay. possible or what? Oh, here's, here's like the thing with that. So like concerning the plexiglass stuff, that's just like basic like health. Like if you can't put plexiglass up in your business, like just like you shouldn't, you shouldn't run a business. If you can't like maintain health within your business, don't run a business. But then like if like besides COVID and like this idea that if you increase the minimum wage, then all these small businesses are going to go out of business. Like if you can't pay someone a living wage, you definitely should not own a business. But then these companies definitely cannot can pay minimum wage because like all these Nordic countries, like their whole economy is small businesses and they just pay their workers like the most insane amount of money. And the reason that works is because they actually become more productive and like there you see like the economy actually thrive and you see like businesses do better. So like, like the notion that it's going to do bad for these small businesses is just like entirely false. I see. Going thank back, you. Thank you. Yeah. Going back to the thing about rhetoric, you mentioned how like, on both sides, predominantly on one, you see a lot of like rhetoric being used to try to like scare people. So how how do you in your conversations? Because I'm sure that you 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 deal with people from both sides when you when you talk to people about these subjects. How do you try to dismantle those ideas? I think the best way to dismantle those ideas is just to look at other countries. Like the U.S. just just thinking wholeheartedly of the U.S. as the best country is like not a very smart thing to do when there's like hundreds of other countries that are have like the exact same freedoms and like thinking that the U S is the best and like we shouldn't look to any other countries is just silly. I think the easiest way is to look at what other countries are doing and try to replicate that. Um, even if some as aspects are worse, we should like take what other countries are doing and try to adopt those in the U S. So as the last, uh, strictly political question, I would like to ask you when me, when I, I personally look at 
these countries you're talking about, um, like Norway and, and Finland, it sounds it sounds good, but I'm worried that by raising the 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 floor, you also are going to have to lower the ceiling, and in, in that, I feel like the opportunities for people in America, for some people in America, are just exceedingly high, and I I found comfort in knowing that if I want to be a trillionaire, I can give it my best shot or whatever. But in another country, knowing that the the laws of your economy limit you to to something that okay. you might not want, how do you, how do you address that? So, like. The comparative you're talking about is, like, in the U.S., you're able to get, like, as rich as you want. But the problem with that is, like, sure, like, middle class and upper class people can, like, keep inheriting their parents' wealth and keep getting richer. But, like, poor people literally have no chance of getting rich. Like, uh, I was, like, reading a thing the other day. Like, if you have the minimum wage, it's literally impossible to rent out a one-bedroom apartment in 95% of the United States. Like, stuff like that. You can't get, like, health insurance. Like, that stuff just does not allow you to become rich. Whereas I rather have a country where rich people are slightly less rich, but poor people are so, are not dying because they are poor and do not have insurance. So I, I I rather take the trade off where rich people are slightly less rich, and not like exploiting their like the proletariat. Whereas um, poor people literally cannot get rich. That fact you just said is 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 astounding. You said that ninety five percent of the countries in is not inhabitable by people that make the minimum wage. So yeah. that just like centralizes all the poor people in certain areas and then they just continue being poor because that's their environment. Would you agree? Yeah, it's difficult to get out of poverty for sure, like with minimum wage and other factors, especially for like minorities with like systemic racism. But so shifting yeah, to a topic similar yeah. but not in, in, a sim in a similar vein. So I, I know you, you participated in, in, in high school debate and how has is, how is that kind of developed your views if it has a deal i think it's definitely developed like more liberal views just because i guess i'm doing like i'm just reading more stuff which i think has created more liberal views but also just the environment as a whole is very liberal um just like everyone that does it is quite liberal so i think that's definitely molded my views whereas like before i was i was kind of an independent where i didn't really know that much Okay, so moving on from politics once and for all, when you, I have a question about motivation on dress. I know we all um, feel those times when we're sitting there in front of our work and we think, oh my God, this is the last thing I want to do, but it's due the next day and you've got to do it. What, what do you do in that situation? I have always admired your ability to get things done, especially now. Thank you very much. Um, in those situations, I just look again into the future and think, if I do this, I'll probably maintain my my grades and I'll have pretty good grade average. Whereas if I do not do this, I will get instant gratification, but in the end, I will be less happy. So I just think into the future and think how those um, uh, my my actions to do the homework or not do the homework will ultimately affect uh, how I feel in that moment. In listening to uh, Tim Urban's podcast, I mean, uh, Tim Urban's TED Talk, Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator, he describes the, uh, the, the problem with getting things done that, that exists in procrastinators is that they, they have this instant gratification monkey, he calls it, that's in their head. And you just, you, you got to feed the monkey or otherwise you're, 
you're going to just drive yourself insane. How, how do you, how do you, how do you manage to not feed the monkey and, and still, you know, get things done? I think that came very difficult for me, especially like in middle school. I, I was obviously feeding that monkey. I did not want to do my work, so I did not do it. And that came, that came back to haunt me. And it was just that realization that I couldn't, that, that stuff wasn't sustainable. I need to change was where I, where I sort of shifted. So I, I have a similar question. I, I have a, an example like that. So for English the other day, we had to read the narrative of life of Frederick Douglass, a great book, but I just, I mean, we were signed like two weeks before and I just, each time I was like, each week I was like, oh, I'll start reading it this week. And I just never did. And I ended up not starting like the way before it was due. So how would you have, have handled that situation? I think I'd probably just broken it up into different um, days, reading a little bit of, like each day. So at that point I can just kind of grind a very easy homework and I don't look into the future. I just do what I need to do today and focus about focus on what I have to do at that moment and not into the future. And if I if I keep that up then I'll be fine. That's probably how I would have done it. So by breaking up your work th- throughout the week or throughout the designated time for you to do the project, you find you're mm-hmm. able to to avoid stress at the last minute. Exactly, yeah. So, Andres, given given the reins to you for a minute, what would you say the most important thing you could tell your sixth grade self is? That's a tough one. Um, Probably just keep doing what you want to do while also looking into what you want to do in the future. Make sure those two viewpoints align, and if they do, then you're golden. That's about it. Make sure to keep going, even if it gets tough. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for talking with us. I know it was on rather short notice. But yes. This no about problem. wraps up our, uh, our first ever episode of Layman's Change. I hope you guys learned a lot. Can't thank Andres enough. Really a remarkable guy coming in here and doing this with us. So thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Signing off. See you guys next episode.